Welcome to American Soccer Analysis. I'm your host. I don't. I never sound. I never sound excited enough. I'm Harrison Crow. I'm joined with Sean Steffen uh, across the digital internets. I never. I never sound excited enough. I always say, I, like I always want to sound exuberant. Like you hear a couple of the different podcasts that are out there. Uh, I'm trying to think of one that specifically strikes. Uh, strikes a vibe with me and I, and I can't think Jason Davis he always sounds super excited to be on uh me not so I, I sound like I, I get we are recording at the end of the day so I guess that kind of soaks into you a little bit but still I'm, I'm excited to be doing this I'm excited are you, Sean are you excited well Harrison I'm super excited <laughs> oh my goodness you got a great podcast for you tonight <laughs> you think you you know, I this is this is this is what we choose to do with our time. You think that we'd, we'd come off uh, a little, just like there'd be like a little bit of motivation behind our voices, right? Yeah, I mean, this is how we talk, and I don't like artificial personalities. So uh, you know, a lot of those podcast people, when you meet them, they actually are like that, and that's why they're good at it. And that's, this is how true. we are. And, you know, <laughs> I don't want us to put on airs. And I don't. I would hope that our listeners don't want us to put on airs either. Because listeners can tell. They're smart people. You guys out there in audio land, you're smart people. Yeah, they, they're all smart out there. And, and hopefully that's why you listen to our podcast. Because, you know, you want to hear like the trickles of uh, intelligent uh, mutterings and musings that we have. Probably once or twice over the course of the 60 minutes. But uh, so let's kind of it, – it's been a month. A little over a month, I suppose, since we sat down. We're gonna start doing this uh, back. It's the new year, but before we kind of get into uh, what's happened recently, let's kind of take a step back and let's walk back through some of the different uh, different transactions that have happened so far over the off season. Let's not get into every single one of them, but there's a few of them that kind of stood out to me as I was writing down the outline for uh, tonight. And the first one that immediately dro- uh, jumped out to me was um, Maxi Rudy to Dallas. Uh, that, that's something that I think coming into the off season, we, we had inklings and maybe shades of ideas that he needed to have a more full-time. I'm sure he probably wanted a more full-time role. You saw a lot of, he was kind of the first guy off the bench for, for Portland and he did a lot of really great things coming off the bench. I think that that's something that's really clear within our statistics, uh, the amount of, um, chances that he creates and not just the chances that he creates, but also the shots. He's kind of a, a fox in the box, if you will. And he gets to a, just creates a lot of opportunities in and around the six yard box. And, and he doesn't do a lot of other things that are really great or stand out from a soccer, soccer eye perspective, but he's someone that I think that we like to value. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but he's somebody that I think of that can be a really valuable striker in this league that probably a lot of people don't value. What did you think about him going to Dallas? It's an interesting move. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Rudy. We both are. That's why we uh, were thinking very heavily of bringing him into our model front office uh, for Philadelphia. 
Uh, we went with Patrick Mullins instead. Uh, but what's interesting, what's most interesting about it is it doesn't seem like they're trying to replicate the target forward that they had in Blots. Because when you look at the uh, the forward they had, you know, they had Texera last year, replacing them, now they're bringing in Rudy. Neither of those guys are really target forwards. And arguably, that was a problem for them, especially in the playoffs last year, not being able to hold the ball up front. And it's questionable whether, you know, is Rudy going to have the same troubles in that offense? You know, uh, he's good, you know, floating around, but can he do it alone in an offense that doesn't necessarily possess the ball that much? Um, I don't know, but he's definitely a great forward. He's definitely a great pickup. And for Portland, that's a pretty big loss, but I understand why he was asking for a lot of money. Yeah, there's a there's a financial piece that's a, that's associated there, and it's kind of interesting because they go with Jack McInerney kind of to to replace him. Uh, let's segue there to some of the pickups that Portland's made, and Chris Clute, and uh, as I the aforementioned McInerney. You know, I, I don't know necessarily off the top of my head what type of salary he was coming in at, but he wasn't on a small salary either. And that's something that over the last couple of years, you've kind of seen him passed around to, you know, uh, Montreal from Philadelphia and then on to uh, Columbus this past year. Largely, um, maybe because of underproduction, but also because there's a price tag associated with that expected production. And so he's kind of passed from team to team. I, I can't give you all the details. I'm sure there's some personal details that go uh, along with that. Ultimately, I think that this is kind of a McInerney kind of comes from the same mold as Adi. And it seems like they're trying to put a like for like if they were to lose Fernando at any period of time. This is a this seems like a, a head bet like striker back behind him. What do you what do you think about uh, the McInerney move? I completely disagree. I don't think he's a target for it at all. I think Adi is probably one of the last Mohicans in MLS in terms of a good back-to-goal striker. We don't have a lot of them in this league. I don't think that's McInerney at all. McInerney's the small guy. He runs in the channels. And uh, I think his problem is that he came in too hyped and had the price tag was set on the hype. And based on his production, he's priced himself out of the market because it doesn't make sense to have him because you don't pay that much for a striker you don't play to have a guy you bring off the bench so you know he's not a bad player by any means but he's not a player within a salary cap situation that i would pay off the bench yeah yeah that's a good call he's five foot ten i thought that he was a little bit bigger so yeah maybe he is uh, a little bit better as far as a channel runner and stuff and kind of that uh that He's a poacher. He's a, you know, they used to well, say that he was the American Chicharito, which is... That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of gone awry. Well, I mean, he has had his moments, definitely, where he's done the poaching and stuff. But at the same time, I don't feel necessarily that he's... I don't know. I I, I like to say things, and then afterwards I look at the, the numbers, and it, it doesn't back it up at all. So I think it'll be interesting to see where McInerney... Uh, ends up being for Portland. I think that he could do, um, I feel like he could be success at the same time. He's somebody that will probably always kind of have these shades of, Oh, we, we thought he was going to be so much better. And that, that just feels so uh, disingenuous to, to, to him and his early start. I mean, he's only 23. It's not like he's a, he's some 26, 28 year old, you know, um, 
he's still got a lot of growth that can happen uh, in the next two, three years that could make him a legitimate starter in this league. Absolutely. I mean, you can't give up on him. It's just, like I said, price-wise, I think that's no. the reason why he's getting you know, passed around. Well, exactly. And it, But what's even more interesting is the fact that you know they're going with him despite the price when you know they have to lose a Rudy. So that's kind of kind of an interesting uh although they probably are able to do that a little bit more now after the Villafania move. And, well, and also Audi really came into his own last year. This is by far Audi's best year, especially the end of the year last year. He was oh, yeah. he looked like one of the best strikers in the league at the end of the league last year. So, I mean, it, it, you can definitely you definitely don't need an Rudy off the bench if Audi is that good. No, I agree, because you, you're not having to uh, – there was still a little bit of um, shuffling. Adi wasn't necessarily a guaranteed starter. Um, you know, he definitely had his number one spot, but I don't think it was necessarily solidified by, by any means. Uh, well, it is now, for sure. Oh, yeah, certainly, for sure. By the end of last season, he was he was definitely throwing up some really, uh, really gaudy numbers uh, and, and just some really – really solid goals, really good moments. So uh, what did you think about Chris Klute, uh, the pickup from uh, Columbus to the MLS Cup champions? I mean, it's a, it's a good pickup. Um, I'm not quite sure on the price point. Uh, you know, he's, he's got decent numbers. I don't think it's uh, it's anything, you know, uh, spectacular. But I think it, it's solid. And for what Portland's building with, you know, I think – the key for them next year is going to be looking for that next step from Milano because they did pay $5 million for him. Uh, that is a player yeah. that they did st- that they did flag statistically. Um, I think they only paid $5 million because they got into a bidding war with, I forget what European club it was, but I'd be willing to guess that they didn't want to go in for $5 million given the general price tags of players in South America. So, but at the same time, he does have a lot of potential. There's a reason why he was flagged. I think, you know, once he starts converting those chances, that team can get exponentially better. Well, there's a lot of things that I I think Mm. digging through some of the data this past week um, that I saw from him, I was actually pretty surprised at his per 90 um, events uh, on the ball were actually pretty high. And so it kind of brought into focus a few things that, you know, he didn't, I mean, he didn't have time to really adjust necessarily to this league. And so I, I think it's a little premature to, to speculate as far as how good he is or how bad he is. And I think that there's a lot of uh, a lot of premeditated ideas that are that are already uh, fixated on who he is and what he's going to be able to do in this league. And I, I don't think that we quite have seen. I think we've seen glimpses of how good he could be or how bad he could be at times. Um, I prematurely made the uh, made the. Uh, <laughs> the comparison to Freddie Montero with some of uh, some of the moments. I, I I don't necessarily agree with that still, but I think that he has that very um, high ceiling that he could, once he acclimates this league, could become somebody that's just does things out of the blue that's just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that that's part of the reason why you see European teams that were interested in him is because it, it, it's not, he's not um, necessarily this you know box to box grinder going to do 
gut out every single play, going to do something amazing every single game. He's probably going to go games where he does something, you know, does one or two things. And then out of that, he's going to do something amazing out of it. And sometimes that's there, there are players like that that you can be all right with playing, and especially with this Timbers lineup. You can you you can have you can have that you can have those luxury players with this type of team. Uh, I don't want to say composite, but you, you know what I'm saying, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you have Nagby and Valeria running that team. You can have a guy who's on again, off again, and I do think he's going to be good. I don't think he's going to be five million dollars good. No, but he's going to be good. And uh, you know, we'll we'll just have to wait and see. So, um, kind of going back to Chris Clute though, real fast. I really like Chris Clute. Let me tell you, I like Chris Clute for a lot of reasons, but mostly because of his passing. His passing out of the back is, man, I just think it, this this guy can just nail some killer through balls, some killer crosses at times that are just on the money. And he did it a couple years ago in Colorado. I don't remember. I don't know if you remember, but mm-hmm. just – Man, the amount – I think he has a chance to be Chris Tierney. I think he has a, a – we, we kind of ranted and rave a little bit about Chris Tierney out of the left back position and how many expected assists that he came up with this year just basically with how good uh, his passing was and, and passing to people constantly in really great positions to create shots, and, and that's what they did. And. It, it was phenomenal. He he was really had one of the best fullback seasons um, that we have documented, at least from a from a passing perspective. I think Chris Klute could do that. Um, I, I'm really interested to see, especially with uh, Adi up top. I think it'll be really interesting to see how well um, how many opportunities Klute can create for him. Um, as as much as we disdain headers, and we, you know we we realize how much. Uh, just it's it's not a high percentage play but on the other side of the coin we've seen that this year with Kai Kamara that if you have the right striker mm-hmm. and you have the right people um there's yeah, that's my line <laughs> there's just you know what dude you can you can definitely win a lot winning ball balls in the air are is a talent and if you mm-hmm. can find the right guys that can do it man you can just feast off of it and uh, I 20, think 2012 San Jose. <laughs> well, exactly. Right. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be great and come the playoffs. Uh, and that's not saying, I don't think that the Portland Timbers are going to be a great playoff team. I think they're, they're going to be a very good team this year. In fact, I think all of Cascadia is just going to be really rough and tumble. Um, but it, it's, I think that this, this team is going to be very, uh, ha- has a lot of different ways to attack. Mm-hmm. Speaking of 2012 San Jose, what do you think about that Dawkins move? Yeah, so that's a little bit weird, right? Um, yes. I mean, when I heard it, I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then when I heard it's DP, I'm just like, oh, that's not cool. <laughs> well, it, and see, I don't think necessarily that it's strictly a DP multi-million dollar. It's, this it's is like 500000 or 600000 Right, right. So, I mean. That's still, that's still deep. You're still wasting a spot. But see, they're not going to use a spot. You're not wasting. I mean, it, he's easily payable with Tam. So I mean, but they didn't Tam him, right? Which is which was kind of silly on their b- behalf. But at the same time, if you're not going to bring anybody in, or you don't want to bring anybody else in, 
I don't think that they have to right now. They're kind of stacked at up top with strikers and with Garcia. And I don't think that they need to bring anybody else in um, at, at this given time. I mean, it's somebody, it's something that they could definitely play, pay down at the middle. They could buy his DP slot out in the middle of the year and still bring in another DP. Yes, that's true. And while that's fair and that might be the way they're going from a money ball perspective, I like value in this league. No, I, I, especially in those small markets. Yes, absolutely. In those small markets, you have to do value. You have to do value because the, the DP that they bring in is going to be on the Amagara level. It's going to be on the MPG level. It's not going to be on the Robbie Keane level. And when you're bringing in Robbie Keane, you can afford to have Mika Varnand eating money on the bench. When you're, you know, bringing in uh, MPGs, you can't afford to have to be spending, you know, three hundred thousand or two hundred thousand more do- dollars than you should be on a Dawkins. And that's why you don't really see successful small small market teams wait, with okay, money so, eating. Wait, 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 wait. So you don't even think he's worth the six hundred? You think the six hundred's overpaying? In for- MLS in MLS dollars, no. MLS money, European money, two different things. Totally, we can agree on that. Mm-hmm. Dawkins does a lot of things and he did a lot of things. He's still a relatively young guy. So this is like going and grabbing a Sean Wright Phillips and granted, he's not necessarily to that caliber, but grabbing him at, you know, 27 years old, 26 years old and bringing him in. That's, this is an underrated move. I, I, I get that you don't want to use the, the I'm, I'm not in favor of them not using Tam. They should have tammed him and they should have already had that DP spot. They shouldn't have to wait and use their one time buy down in the middle of the season. That's just poor business. Well, I will give you that. Maybe 100%. they were looking to sell the Tam. Maybe they were looking and maybe they could still pull that trade. But if they're going to sell that Tam, I mean, you have to, you have to do it, right? Well, you can look for the option mid-season. Maybe they are not sure they can get someone mid-season. Maybe they're eyeballing someone. And that's actually an interesting perspective because Tam's probably worth a, a lot more in the mid-season than it is at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can see that for sure because at once everyone invests early in, with the Tam, there's going to be less Tam out there to trade. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Oh my God, are they geniuses? <laughs> they might i mean legitimately they might they might be at the stage that's that's kind of an interesting uh perspective that i don't think either of us had thought about <laughs> coming into this right well that team is set up really well i i will say if dom knows what he has and i'm not quite sure he does because i don't think they value uh garcia uh well yeah i at the, mean at the where he should be valued and i don't think they realize just how good pelosi is um, I could see a Pelosi-Garcia midfield being absolutely ridiculous. Pelosi has one of the best um, tackles per 90, pass per 90 ratios like in the league. And and MPG is one of the best chance creators in the league. And you just don't see it because it's a really boring team to watch. They don't seem to create a lot of chances. They, but, towards the end of the season, the problem was that they didn't have Wando. Wando wasn't healthy. They had to trade for Quincy, and even when they did trade for him, he he wasn't an immediate impact. So I mean, there was there was some different things. Once they all got, I mean, towards the end of the season, that was a they, they actually became 
a decent team to watch. But by the time Quincy started scoring goals, what MPG was gone. Mm-hmm. Was he, he was injured. But so, the thing is, they really like Fatai. And I think if you're going to like Fatai, one of the better players is going to have to sit because of it. And Fatai is good. I I think statistically, Pelosi and MPG are something special. And Fatai isn't necessarily statistically noteworthy. And I don't think, from a formational standpoint, he's necessary to what they can go, what they can do going forward since they do want to have two strikers. Should Fatai be in. Uh, USL right now to get more minutes or should he be the first guy off the bench? Do they have a USL team? I don't think they have a USL team. Oh, that's team. a good call. Well, they should. They have to. They have to have some. They have uh, Sacramento. I was an affiliate. Right. So, but, but I mean, that's, gonna... that's different business when it's not your team, though. No, that's Because fair, that's, its but... own, that's its own office. Do they want him? Do they want... I mean... But, is Fatai, but if Fatai goes down to Sacramento, it, you have to think he starts, right? I mean, that's a guy that's, that's a U23 player. That but is yeah, a... But... I don't think they're going to send him down because I think they want him on the bench and they want him rotating in. And I think Fatai is going to get his minutes. I think, you know, Fatai might get more minutes than MPG because I don't think MPG is valued. And that's kind of the problem. And as a Galaxy fan, it it, it thrills me to know that as bad as I, I criticize the front office with the Galaxy for making boneheaded moves. But every morning I wake up on my knees grateful that we're not if they're not as bad as San Jose's. <laughs> that that's you know what i honestly don't think it's the front office so much as it's the the coaching staff but i guess that ties back forth you don't hire that you don't hire dom Kinnear if you know yeah it's been the front office i mean in the like bringing in innocent was that a good move um yes. keeping innocent was that a good move well you don't think innocence was a good move keeping innocent and megara yeah, or bringing him in and then keeping him. Well, well, I've okay. Heard, so, I've heard that they are shaky relations with him and Wando. That's that's all I'll say. Well, and and that might be. I mean, okay, so you bring in a DP when you're really their best formation is a is really like a four two three one, right? Um, you well, bring it. Is it? Because now we saw that Wanda works really well with um, with uh, Quincy. So I mean, it it's kind of up in the air what you want to do with them. I mean, you could do the four two three one with you know Imigar on the wing as like a inverted winger, but then what do you do about Quincy? Like they have options, but they don't have a clear path. That's true. That's fair. And being that they're like the last, even even with. You know, sometimes Seattle, um, their their tactics are a little uh, older and a little bit more. Um, I don't want to say rudimentary, but it, it it's a it can be a little direct sometimes, right? So, but really, San Jose is kind of the last team that that just seems like you know what you're gonna get into. You know you're gonna get into an old school MLS fight, right? If you go down to San Jose, you're gonna you're gonna have to dogfight it out if you want points, and that can be a great thing from the perspective of you know they're not gonna give away any cheap points, but at the same time, I mean it, it's gonna suck to watch. I don't feel that way about very many teams in the league. Um, Colorado's one, but just Colorado's just I mean they what they're playing Sarvis in the ten rule. I mean that's just complete complete mismanagement. Yeah, you, legitimately Colorado. Did has no idea what they're doing. But, I mean, 
looking over at DC United, I, they're even starting to evolve. Um, they went ahead and they went and grabbed Lamar Nagel from Seattle. Uh, obviously, he was uh, a little bit easier to come by just because of, the, of all the moves. Seattle needed to clear some cap space. They couldn't give Nagel the minutes that he wanted. So he, he goes over to D.C., and really, I think it's going to be a perfect home. He's going to be replacing Chris Pontius out in the wing. Um, <laughs> yes. The, the flip side of that move, by the way, is that Philadelphia goes and gets Chris Pontius and pays him. What would they pay him, like six hundred, like $400,000 or something like that? Yeah, yeah, they paid him a, a lot, a huge sum of money just for Absolutely for a Philadelphia amount of money that's just they're just throwing money away and then DC's like okay we'll bring in someone who's actually probably going to get get us more from the same role for less and bring in Nagel so DC's upgrading Philadelphia's downgrading for more money and it just tells you everything you need to know about Philadelphia (laughs) well you know I don't think that necessarily is fair um oh i do and i think the draft also kind of tells you everything you need to know all right let's not play our cards let's focus right here on nagel and and pontius pontius himself is going to be somebody that very easily could be worth that four hundred thousand dollars you you and i can agree very easily i could say possibly had the potential a couple years ago and maybe can regain that potential i don't I mean, four hundred thousand just for MLS dollars is on the cusp of DP money. So th- there are not a lot of players out there that get paid four hundred thousand dollars, and the ones that do are very, very good MLS players. It's hard to imagine Chris Pontius reaching that level anytime soon. That's fair. That's fair. That being said, th- this is this is a risk, correct? I mean, so with it, there there's an equal reward in their eyes and and i don't think it's i I think it's a little harsh to consider that there he can't be worth that money i don't think that all risks have equal rewards that's true that's absolutely true in this case i think that maybe it doesn't have the same probability of reward um i will i will i will give you that i think that the the likelihood is that he plays what nagel plays in DC and he does it for about 500 less minutes to maybe even a thousand less minutes. Um, so obviously, you know, DC's making out like a bandit. That being said, you have to look at what Philadelphia had is, and we both looked and know what Philadelphia has, and it's not much and they're stable in terms of attacking talent. That was something that we both identified. And so well, they've also gotten rid of the other thing with them as the other offseason thing with Philadelphia is getting rid of Maidana, which we both disagree with. Well, yeah, but that's – I mean, so you, it's possible, and, and this is speculative, so we don't really know. Maybe he doesn't fit the character and personality for that team, and if that's the case, you know, I, I think that's that's fair. Maidana is going to fit into a glove in, down in Houston. I mean – Putting Barnes out in the out wide, you're gonna have um, what Cubo Torres and Will Bruin up top. Uh, I can't think of who they're gonna have out wide right. I, I had it earlier in my mind. I have no idea what they're doing, and but they've got some interesting pieces to do some interesting stuff with. That's all I can say about Houston. <laughs> I think they're gonna create a lot of shots. Mm-hmm. I don't think you that's have the, to. Worry. I think that's their plan. I don't think you have to worry 
about Madonna not being willing to take a shot. I think when you have three or four of those guys that you have down there, your your hope is that someone becomes gun shy because you're just going to start creating like an excess amount of shots that are that then you have to start going into bad decision making because you know I, I don't think that's something that Houston's really had an issue with in the bat in the past because they just don't take a lot of shots. Will Bruin doesn't take a lot of shots in general. He, well, he's back and forth with that, and then they just don't create enough opportunities to take those shots. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem with Houston, uh, especially last year, was the chances they create are mostly from crosses. This brings us to the Brad Davis deal. Houston had like a 13 to one cross to three ball ratio. Most teams in the league are, are at like four to one or three to one. So it was just disproportionate. There's only been one team of any note that's had any success with the th- cross to three ball ratio within our data that high. And that was 2012 sporting Kansas city. And that team wasn't offensively good. They just happened to be ridiculously good. Uh, defensively they were They're, yeah ridiculous i think like underline italicized capitalized bold really good yes they gave up something like eight shots a game they uh under and for I, bad positions yes the they are um i would say there was a lots of lots of formational stuff there really good center back tandem a little bit of luck but you're not going to have that when you, I mean, as a model, you don't want to cross that much. And I think getting rid of Brad Davis really, really helped that because Brad Davis was their chance creator. And I think the problem with having a Brad Davis is he's always going to end your possessions with those crosses. So if you, the majority of your chances are coming from crosses, just supplementing people like am I done? And there really isn't going to help all that much because Brad Davis is still going to be ending your possessions with crosses. Well, unless exactly. You're just That's... not passing to him. So getting rid of him ultimately helps that team i think more than getting my dime i think you said it perfectly that's how they end their possessions and that's never how you want to end your possession is is with a pass and if you're going to end a possession with a pass you want it to be give you the highest probability of creating a shot mm-hmm. and that's not a cross and so it's it's an excellent point um but with that so what is he? What what is Sporting Kansas City going to do with him? The only thing I can think of is to put him in the middle of the pitch, and have him spray what were those crosses, and instead have them be through balls. It's kind of interesting that they could have a team of Zuzi and David. Like thinking Zuzi and Davis can be on the field at the same time is kind of mind-blowingly just. Um, uh, just, just like my worst nightmare as an analyst and and a fan of good soccer, because those are just a surefire. I mean, just poor Benny, uh, you know, poor Benny, Mr. Throughball is going to be, you know, passing out wide and then immediately it gets crossed in with reckless abandon. Well, what's even crazier is they have Dom Dwyer up top. Dwyer mm-hmm. is a great bo- – I mean, that's what makes him and Phil Haber so great, like, relationally, right, is that Dwyer just hunts down – Every one of Fell Harbor's through brilliant through balls. Mm-hmm. He's five foot nine. He's not going to get to Zussi's uh, crosses. That's why we've seen. I, that, that's why I think we've seen Zussi's crosses go downhill. Is because beforehand he had Kai Kamara and uh, these other huge strikers to throw the ball into. And he was now, also getting them mostly on set pieces, which also lends to the. He was also getting them off of. Um, you know, he had Russell and um, uh, Colin. 
That's it. Uh, Colin's and another great point. The, the amount of set piece chances that uh, that Graham Zuzzi had in his, let me emphasize this, one good year. One good year. Not a fan of Graham Zuzzi. This is just assist-wise. It's it's very hard to justify that move. I I think the Justin Mapp move is is much better. Justin Mapp is still creating lots of chances from lots of shots and in lots of different ways. And Mississippi Messi, Mississippi Messi, that's right. And it's very interesting. Um, I, I, we don't know the numbers of what he was picked up picked up at, but that's, I'm going to be very interested in that. Because I want to see how well doesn't it have to be at a certain to, like a certain percentage above what his contract was? I'm not entirely sure what the I, uh, someone told me I, I heard somewhere that there is no actually no minimum for a for a uh, salary. Um, and see if that agent. would make the most sense. That I mean to to say hey for free agency you have to sign this guy at X amount above above his prior deal kind of almost is like committing free agency suicide right right because no one's going to want to sign some of these guys at that type of price i'm going to be very curious when i look at what la signed mike mcgee at and lorenowitz at and then look at what map was signed at because i want to just see how the market is valuing these players because i have a suspicion that they're they're they'll look at you know a mcgee is oh look goals he was an mvp um and you know they're just not going to value just how good Justin Mapp is. And that's a mistake because Mapp was legitimately one of the best American wingers last year and well, deserved I th- a U.S. national team call-up. I think very towards the end, he really started – it really was apparent how good he was. I think towards um, the week that he got his injury, like the week before, I, I'd heard a couple different – read a couple different articles that was just – glowing praise and, and these weren't your typical this was uh pro soccer uh or pro soccer talk and then it was like sbi or something that both were was just glowing praise about who and, and granted it was coming off you know weeks that he had you know big assists and so you know the narrative is always going to be a little bit skewed towards you know the player's favor when something like that happens but it was nice to start reading some really positive articles, and I think that, on the, in addition to him being injured, actually kind of drove up his stock because I think it kind of drove awareness for him. I'm worried that if he comes off to a slow start, he's going to get buried on that bench. Absolutely, but I think that bench is going to be deep because they're going to experiment with the Davises and the, the Mats. We'll see what they're going to do. I I think I don't see Davis starting. Uh, if Davis starts, that team is bad. Yeah. And Here's I don't dislike I don't dislike Brad Davis. I just think that you can't have a Brad Davis and a Graham Zusi existing in the same space. And I can't see Graham Zusi sitting either. Oh no, he's he's there, Jesus. He's, that's it's not going to happen. They he's a DP. He's a DP. They still think. Well, that he's worth DP money, that or they can't sell him. But I don't think they're trying to sell him. I still think that they still think he's worth the DP money. Oh my God, it still blows my mind that we're that that, that we're still in the league where Benny Failhopper is not a DP, but Graham Zuzzi is. It just hurts me so much deep in my like my core. In your core, in your heart. 
Yeah. Yes. Like it, even 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 harder hardier than the heart. The core. You know the the core of the heart. The the essence. The platonic being. Down I don't know if that's the, a real thing. Down yeah. The fire of your heart. Yes. Well, how about the fire? They picked up Brandon Vincent. <laughs> and and what a way to do it. What a way to do it. the fire. Um, <laughs> the fire pulled a um like a pigeon drop or some sort of con game on NYC. They totally did. It was awesome. And <laughs> it every, was like, and we all got to watch them do it on YouTube. Yes. So I mean, for for those who don't know, um, so who. Um, NYCFC, I guess they were very open about who they wanted, and obviously Vieira doesn't by understand like how ahead, By weeks ahead of time, claiming Jack Harrison was an actual homegrown player, which MLS then denied. Right. So, and Vieira's new to this league. He's new to drafts. So the fire come in and just like, like do 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 do. Oh, you want uh, you want Harrison? Well, we'll pick him at number one, and we'll trust that. Uh, Philadelphia, since they have the next two picks, are going to Philadelphia this up and not pick Vincent because they're Philadelphia. And then you are going to be in a position where we can trade you the player you wanted and the player we want will still be on the board. So we can essentially just take allocation money from you. We're going to get the player we want and we're just going to take well, allocation It's not money. even that. This it is was... a pickpocket. This is, this is straight up robbery. This is when you but... reach into their pocket took the money, and then you got the player they wanted. They wanted Brandon Vincent at even, one, and they got him more. at one. It's even more than that. It's even more than that because beforehand, Chicago even said, hey, we're, we're willing to trade our pick. We're re- you know what? For the right offer, we will trade our pick. And and you know New York. New York was even seen at their table before the draft saying, you know, talking and doing all the things that I'm sure the words exchange and blah, blah, blah. And you know Chicago said, all right, you, you're – you're not going to give us – so you know what we're going to do? We're going to draft him. And <laughs> New York's just like, no, you're not. No, you're not, bro. No, you're not. Yes, 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 they did. And then they paraded him out. They put yep. that Chicago Fire scarf on him. Uh-huh. And Patrick v- – and you could just see the look on every one of the NYC brass just like, Son of a bitch. And they had to give up a, a great deal of allocation oh, yeah. money to get him. And, and so, because they basically said, "Oh, you want him now? Now the price is doubled." I'll bet. I'll bet you. Chicago said, "You know what? We were willing to give it. We've already announced him to our fan base. How much is he to you now?" Exactly. Well, he didn't. He never. They didn't because he didn't go through the media. Well, then what's interesting is yes, they then did. turn around and they turn he around and they sell the Jones. He did go through the media. He did? I was told he, he, that they held him. Because everyone in the media said that he was held through the media. Uh, I saw him doing actual interviews, so wow. I'm not sure. Okay, well, then they turn around and then send Jones to Seattle because they got Vincent. And then what did they get for that? More oh, money. Yeah, more money. So, more so now they're sitting on an upgrade at right back and money – Lots of money. It's 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 a very very well played, very well played. Um, On fire, like. Yeah, no, Nelson Martinez, um, bringing a new uh, new cachet. I mean, you know how he handled Chivas um, that last season. You knew he was going to do some. Uh, he was going to have some interesting things up his sleeves, just going into uh, Chicago. Um, 
yeah, props, de- definite props. Philadelphia um, really just helped them out. I mean, they could have gotten Yarrow Vincent. They could have gotten the two best defensive players in the draft. One, like, they could have completely undone this entire scheme. And I think the scheme was entirely built on. We know that Philadelphia is going to be dumb and draft that one player, that one homegrown of theirs. Yeah, they really, even though they had a pick at six or seven or something like that, that they could have waited because no one was going to pick him. No, no one. Real Salt Lake wasn't going to pick Rosenberry. Oh my! They have no reason to pick him. And and you're telling me that Philadelphia, like, when you were justifying, Philadelphia is still a terrible front office. Ernie Stewart to me has is done nothing but things that do, are unimpressive to me. Yeah, which is kind of weird because I actually really liked his interview. He had a really interesting. Um, he said some interesting things uh, in his uh, interview after Azzy Elkmar um, that he had on MLS Extra Time. And you know what? Maybe he was just he was just coached to say the right things. There, there's always that. I've I've seen that countless times. You know, before we all have. But I kind of I I I want to believe for them. You know, I want to believe that someone's gonna come in and do right by them. You well, know, it, it just it's it's kind of stuff. It's it's like well. That's we gonna... have, and we'll be releasing this soon, but we have rebuilt Philadelphia. We are essentially done with this team. And I guarantee you, Harrison, I think you'll agree that our model front office, starting 11, that we're going to put out, and that bench that we have is going to be so much stronger than what Philadelphia starts a season with. Well, it, every it, single I, move that we made is believable and could feasibly be done. Well, so it's, it's very, very hard to defend a front office that's buying a Pontius at 400000 Very hard to defend a front office that doesn't get Brandon Vincent and Yara when they have the opportunity. I mean, they got Yara, but they didn't get Vincent. It's just tough, and I refuse to feel bad for them when it's all self-inflicted. That's fair. I mean, I, you know, I, I'd love to argue that. I, You know, did you see they traded Zach Pfeffer the other day? Yes, I did. I, I, you know what? I'm, I'm not even going to lie. I was going through the transactions and I saw that on Colorado's, uh, call, I drop a, my little toy. Um, Colorado Rapids transaction sheet was Zach Pfeffer. And I, I nearly came unglued and I felt embarrassed that I hadn't seen that, um, when it, when it had happened, um, that I just didn't, I didn't say anything, but What? It, look, Philadelphia obviously has a has a plan, and it's not a good one. So <laughs> that's all I can say. Um, so going through the MLS draft, was there anything else that really stu- uh, really caught your eye? Um, stood out to you? I mean, really, Chicago, Philadelphia, Philadelphia just trading for every other pick that they could get their little hands on. Chicago wheeling and dealing all the way back. Um, across here Colorado making a couple of um a couple of moves that weren't flashy by any means my what stood out most to me about the draft was um that the galaxy disrespected disrespected it which was completely and utterly foreseeable but (laughs) what was unforeseeable and hilarious was how they spun it did you see this article that they wrote up on their website with Pete Vines so Pete Vines gives all these quotes and he says, look, there's some great players in that draft, but we just believe with our with our developmental system and our academy and all that, we, we just believe more strongly in the players who are coming through. 
Meanwhile, Galaxy are buying old players. Guys like DRL are not going to have a chance next year, even though statistically they project, you know, super highly. They can start for half the teams in this league. Uh, same thing uh, with guys like Mandiola. And to date, there's still yet to be a true Galaxy product of that academy that is getting consistent minutes that they're willing to put on that first team. Because Jossie Zaris does not count. Because Jossie Zaris was in the academy for all of, I think, five months. That was totally to game the homegrown system. So, again, uh, it's funny what they're trying to do there. And, you know, the move that they did to bring in a player that they even developed in Boateng. And I don't even think that was a great move. Everything they're doing is signaling they don't trust the youth. But then they put out this article saying, oh, yeah, well, you know, we've got that great academy, so we don't need to draft anymore. I just call call it major BS. No, I call it major BS. I think it's complete BS that they wanted to spin it because it kind of looked bad when all the coaches got up there. You know, it's like all the coaches in MLS, and then it's Dave Sarikin, you know, and the fact that Bruce Arena didn't care. Meanwhile, he's getting Ashley Cole for $300,000. It just looks bad, and I think the Galaxy desperately want to spin this because I don't think the Galaxy front office in general are super behind it. I really don't. That's just, um, I don't have any information on that. That's just my opinion. I think Bruce just has the ability to do things on his own. I think he's just doing things on his own. And I think they have to desperately do whatever they can to get behind it. How and it's years? funny. It's funny. Well, hey, 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 let me ask you a question. How many years do you think Bruce Arena has left? <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you know why I'm asking. I, I think that, honestly, I think that he's creating a, this whole win-now mentality is basically, I'm not going to invest in players because I'm not going to see them through. So, I, I don't know, maybe one or two. Uh, I don't, it's always year to year with him. And uh, if this year blows up, like it very easily might, there's not going to be much motivation to keep him around because there's, there's also going to be a lot, of, uh, a lot of think pieces and a lot of, I think this is a guy who's very prideful and he wants to go out sort of on top. And I think this whole win now, this buzzword that they're doing is kind of a, sort of an attempt to both get get there. And I think if it fails, it's going to kind of put him to a point that he's not going to want to come back and do it again. Because they're not going to be set up. It's going to then become a rebuilding year. And I don't think you want Bruce Arena rebuilding when he's probably not going to be there the next year. See, and I get that. I definitely get that from a critical standpoint and just – there's a lot of really good young players, and I think because of because of that, it, it does enable the Galaxy to kind of straddle that line to where they're going to have those young players just filter as depth, and rather than but they start, don't play them, they don't I, play. Them. I, I get, I get that, I get that, I get that. Um, the other side of the coin is that you can rebuild fast and furious in this league. Um, with the right front office and with the, the right, right mentality. With the right front office, we've seen we've seen the mantra of uh, good teams don't rebuild, they reload. And I think that that's completely plausible with the Galaxy two, three years from now. if Or even next year, if Cole blows up in their face, if Gerard blows up. And well, just Gerard's ter- gone at the end of the year. Be like... Gerard's going to retire. That's right. He's, he's I, I pretty mean, much confirmed that. So right, 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 right. They will have a DP style opening up. Um, they've all, but I mean, they've tipped their hands so much. They're going after uh, Cristiano Ronaldo that as their next DP. That's just going to happen. Whether or not they get him, you know, up in the air, 
but they're definitely going to try to get him because if he goes to, you know, uh, LAFC, that's a disaster for them. Or so they want to get if he jumped. goes to Miami. Right. I don't think they – I think the mission is to to not get him. If he goes to LAFC, then that creates a major market problem because they already have those cool hats, those cool jackets, that, that cool logo, and an actual location that people can get to in a, you know, a short amount of time. And if they have a you know, globally recognized player, no one's going to go to Carson. I mean, this is a team that has trouble filling the stadium without, you know, in 2014, when they were the, one of the best teams ever, they only sold out, uh, I believe, twice that year. So it's going to happen. There is going to be competition. And regardless of whether they get Cristiano Ronaldo or whoever they're going to get, they're going to get star power. You you, you and I recognize this, right? I don't think there's going to be competition at youth levels for the players that um, – for players like Raul Mendiola and Jose Burrell, not in an honest way. I mean, this is a – if you look at who was subbed but in, we're, we're, at the end of last year, we're not talking about Bashi youngsters Lusidic right now. was clearly ahead of Jose Burrell. And if you look at Jose Burrell's numbers, that is a crime. Yeah, so, but, yeah, but let's 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 talk. Let's no, 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 just a second. It, no, it is. I want to finish this because that is moves like that show an endemic problem that you cannot identify talent. If you do not rate young talent like Jose Villarreal, that means that you're okay. Maybe you can't just say, well, that's an eyesight case. It means that you're not going to be able to rate young talent down the line. And the fact that they're putting all their eggs in Jossie's artist is another one. I mean, this team does not. I mean, they don't have an analyst on staff. They're very much an old scouting, the way that they scout, very old. They're an old MLS team. And they really? go out and scout in a very old fashion. And right now, their scouting is so lazy. Their, their, their scouting is who is a free transfer in Europe that has, you know, is plus 30, and therefore we can vouch for a record. And that is such a bad model because these players are on the decline, are not necessarily enthused, and you're not going to get value out of it. And... You know, there are a couple moves that they're linked to. I don't know if you want to go full into the galaxy now. Like, no, no, um, no. But I mean, we already we're already there. So uh, like the De Jong move, um, I'm actually for. This is a midfield that saw 41.5 passes per 90 drop off in the midfield from 2014 to 2015. So already they're in this huge passing decline. And for a team whose whole offensive shape since Beckham left, is built on maintaining this possession side to side and getting players forward. That becomes a liability once you no longer see that. And now Juninho's gone. Juninho has led the team in passing to one of the league leaders in touches. You've created a situation where you can exacerbate the problem. Now, with Jossie Jarrett being moved back forward, Gio in the midfield, Jarrett's probably going to see more touches. He's not going to see the amount of touches that will get him up to a service level. And even even if he does, if it's a Jeff Lorenowitz paired with him, because they want a defensive midfielder with him, Jeff Lorenowitz is in 2013, which is the last year that we actually have good defensive midfielder data on him. Past futures was 11.6. 20, Juninho in... in 11.6 uh, what? Past usage. Okay. So um, but Juninho... But in, that's, no, that's still give pretty you a, high. No, it's not. Uh, 12.6 is what leads the uh, leads it in uh, on our ratios, and that's uh in past that's usage, Javier in Morales past usage, in past usage. Yeah, Javier Morales in past usage or in touch. Oh, I'm sorry. 
Right. I'm looking at pass usage specifically. So, so just to give so you, but, let's but, give give us give give the listeners a baseline as you rant and rave uh, so on Juninho, your tangent. Juninho, 2014, 14.8 percent pass usage. That's very elite. What's the difference between 15 and, and 11? Uh, so Juninho, I believe, was um, at 70 passes per game in 2014. Uh, Lorenowitz was, uh, I'd have to check, but the wrong number I give you is not going to be useful because they, each of those teams pass different rates, which is why. Sure, 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 sure. Right. And, but, but, but 11, I'm just trying to, get, I'm just trying to paint a picture. Well, for I'm, I'm giving you here. So Marcelo Sarvas in 2014 was 12.6. Jeff Lorenowitz, as I said, is 11.6. Now, the reason why I like De Jong over Lorenowitz and why I actually think De Jong is a good move is because at AC Milan in 2014-2015 season, not the last season, but the 2014-2015 one, he was at 13.2%, which is snugged right there in the middle. It's very nice. This is the guy who's going to work to get his passes, along with being a good elite defensive midfielder. That's a move I like. I don't think the Galaxy realized why it's a good move. I think they just want a, a proven defensive midfielder. That's a move I like. So they're not totally off base in what they're doing, but... They're to- but when they're going after guys like Ashley Cole for 300000 it they are, in a way, in a just um, as an institution, what they're doing, they are not approaching scouting the way that they should. And yes, they're doing this win now thing, but it's going to hurt them going forward. It's not the best way to build for a team that, to win now because there are players that you can easily scout higher and pay less from South America. And... Just what they're doing is just, uh, it's, it's just wrong. Like, uh, it, it still could work because of the talents of Keane and, and Gio DeSantos. And Gerard's probably going to be better this year. But when you want to look at front office, and they get so much credit as a front office because of the championships they win, I do not rate them as one of the best front offices in the league. I, I still think that, you know, sporting Kansas City, Portland, um, up until last year, we all saw Lake. I think those are the best front offices in the league because they do so much with so little. And the LA Galaxy has never had to do that. And I think now it's we're finally getting exposed just how far behind the curve they are. And it's a problem. I think once they dismantle that team, once Gerard leaves and all that, it's going to if they don't change things, if they don't start looking to do what, you know, Portland's doing, you know, just you know, if they don't look into analytics, they're going to have a major setback in terms of where they are in this league. They're going to go from one of the perennial, you know, favorites to being one of the, you know, on the San Jose level. And yes, they'll always have their money, but if you're not getting the right people, it doesn't matter. Sorry, ran over. That's how I feel about the LA Galaxy. All right, cool. Um... Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, last little, little, um, well, a couple other things. Um, going over to Colorado, they traded today. Clint Irwin, obviously trying to make room for Timmy Howard. Um, <laughs> that's the rumor. I know. There, there's a couple people that, that weird had, it, it's a little unique in the, in terms of what you would generally think about where their team's at. Uh, I, 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 it's not a, it's not a move I think is intelligent. 
Uh, I think Clint Irwin is an obvious starter in MLS, and I think that Tim Howard is a it, he's probably of the echelon of, of keepers uh, entering MLS. They could probably be at least for a year or so give you the Nick Romando, Bill Hamid levels of keeping you in the game. So from the perspective of one year, maybe two, yeah, you're probably you're, you're probably making a move that can overall be good for your for your organization, but not for the long term. I think that's a lot of money. And you talked about getting value out of young players. Clint Irwin is a guy I, I feel is getting better. And while he's not a spring chicken, uh, I don't know necessarily if that's the that's that's a lot of money to to put into a team. And after going and getting Kevin Doyle. It, it's it's kind of an interesting uh, situation. Toronto just continues to to solidify their back line. What do you think of uh, that Toronto back line now with Clint Irwin, Drew Moore, Stephen Bettisher? Who's their other center back? Um, there's a, there's about three or four of them that were rotating through. Um, I don't think that there was any one that was necessarily holding down the spot. Uh, I'm sure that we could find it. Um, but what do you think of the the new uh, the new look as as it stands right now? I mean, they're on their way. Uh, I, I, it's hard to it's hard to so gonna have to see how they all gel together and to see who that other center back is and how he does. Um, but uh, and I think we saw sport in Kansas City. Like you can the drop off from from a, a Beasley Opara to a Beasley who are they at Ellis or is it Dia is so massive. That you kind of you need that strong tandem, and so it, it, it's tough. But they're definitely not going to be as horrible, which is promising when you have Giovinco running around and you know breaking uh, league uh, uh, just league stats in general, breaking well, our model, breaking everything. Yeah, I mean, and not only that, but you have Michael Bradley, who's you know certainly no slouch, and you know while he's not necessarily. And I mean, you talk about Grimm's UCB not being a DP, and Bradley's kind of like mine. I I get irritated. I really don't. I think that he has times of being probably the best player in Concacaf, and then uh, at times that he's one of the most overrated players in all of MLS. Um, so I, I kind of flip flop back and forth. I really want to like the guy. I really want to like his move to Toronto. But uh, to be perfectly honest, since he entered in MLS, he's been so overrated. I hope that this year um, they allow him to kind of transi- transition and stay back more and provide cover for that defense. Well, uh, he's not a defensive man. He's not an attacking man. But he does do both combined fairly well in a good box-to-box way. As we saw when I did my uh, – not to give too much away. I did that. I'm doing a model that compares all – midfielders together in their capacity to do certain things and i looked at 2014 a couple midfielders bradley ranks really really high in that list and that surprised me they just have to find the right player to pair with them and that's been a problem we've seen even the national team tackle because you know but at a certain point if after so many years and so many seasons of you not being able to find the quote-unquote right player yes, is that who, necessarily the other player. Who have they paired concept? with them? Who have they paired with them? They're, they're not – this is Toronto we're talking about here. They, they haven't had, like, this really deep, amazing pool. Uh, Osorio is good, but, you know, that he's not necessarily the right fit. No. Um, I. It's hard to, to think of who the right fit is, 
Um, he, he's done well with a national team with flat-out destroyers behind him, but because it allows him to push forward, but you can't expect him to sit above them in an attacking way like Klinsman likes to do with him. But that kind of necessitates a 4-4-2. And like Bradley, you really have to build a team around him in a lot of different ways. Or didn't Roma use him in a 4-3-3 or something? Um, I'm not entirely certain. I know that he did a lot of things for Roma. Um, there, there's, a, there's a lot of options as far as how you play him. I, I mean, he's, I, he's not worth the money they say him, but at the same time, few American players are. So, um, which is why I think Bedoya, when the people, who's it looking at Bedoya right now? Uh, Colorado is the team that's currently connected, although there's been also connections with Philadelphia and a few other, uh, a few other whispers of clubs, you know, who that ends up being, it kind of remains to be seen. And I made this point in our model FO when we looked at Bedoya, I said, if he was not American, is there any... Statistically, if we looked at players in France and you had no idea who this player was, you just looked at this, would you go, wow, that's a player I want on my team? I think there's a national team bias, and I think Bedoya is not going to be worth the money that he's going to end up being brought in at. And because he's not necessarily on the Clint Dempsey level where it does make total sense. So it, it's it's sort of the same thing. With, I think we saw a little bit of the same thing with Bradley, but at the same time, it's just not a good fit. It, like, I look at every player that has failed in Toronto skeptically because so many of them have come out of Toronto and done tremendously well. So it's very hard to judge Michael Bradley's situation. That's fair. Um, he's probably not uh, not being utilized the way, I mean, as we just said. But uh, it, it, it does make you wonder how much the system goes into making that making him in this in this scenario obviously systems can make a player exceed they can uh, they can bring a player down and so uh making a player and finding that fit uh between that player and that coach or that that organization is really important uh which kind of goes into talking about jordan morris who has a contract with Werder bremen um supposedly on the table they have the word is a Seattle Sound. Uh, so, I said Seattle Sonics. Wow, man, that takes you back. Seattle Sounders have two days to quote unquote convince Morris. Um, taking off your LA Galaxy hat for a moment, if that's possible. I don't know if that's been stapled on top of your head or not. Um, if you can remove it for a second, having Jordan Morris in this league regardless of the team he's associated and affiliated with is such a great move for MLS, but is it the right move for Jordan Morris? I think Seattle is actually, um, I get it's homegrown and all that. Uh, when you look at teams that to go to, I don't see Seattle as a good one because I don't think he's going to get much playing time. I know Lagerway had his thing. He could get playing time, you know, right, right to start. I think it would be similar situation where maybe he gets, the Champions League games or the U.S. Oh, Open no, Cup no. games, or he gets the absolutely wrong. That's where they put him on the wing. They put him on the wing. Not wrong. Where they put him on the wing? Yes, absolutely. No, that's where he plays. That's where he's played since he was a kid. He he recently started tra- making the transition to striker. He will not play a striker for uh, MLS, and it doesn't make sense for him to be striker. What's he playing at Bremen? I haven't followed. That. Uh, he was he he's playing out wide. He's playing left wing. 
Oh, okay. If you if you saw Bremen put out a YouTube video of him uh, getting uh, getting an assist in a reserve match. Uh, oh, okay. A couple well, of days ago, and it was off of a left-footed. Actually, I think it was a right-footed cross. In okay, off- I'm I'm gonna tell you right now, it was right-footed because he doesn't have a left foot. Um, that's not true <laughs> at all. Uh, I have noticed that he has a tendency in situations where the left foot makes sense that he will go out of his way to use his right. Now, whether or not that doesn't mean whether or not that that means he doesn't have one versus how weak it is versus he just likes his right debatable but i'm not the only one who has said this i've seen this from three different people i'm not the only one who has noticed this um it would be good for the league i don't know if it is good for jordan morris it all depends on how much Verde bremen plays him most important thing is playing time the second most important thing is competition and i, 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 and I don't know I how comfortable he is in i completely disagree with those two i think playing time is important i don't think it's as crucial as everybody makes it out to be because of the the bottom line is you're going to get time if you're in MLS or if you're with Werder Bremen. They have a reserve team, especially in Germany. They have such a great development team. You're going to get time. You're going to get time out on the pitch, and you're going to do it with people that are re- of a high, um, of a high class of players. And, he's, and, what, 22, 23, 22. Okay. Right. So I mean, from a developmental standpoint, against those players in Germany. He needs to be starting. He needs to be getting. But those. here's the thing: Werder Bremen's going through this horrible season, to where they're on the cusp of get, being relegated. They're trying anything and everything. They play overly direct soccer. It's not exactly pretty, and they're not a very well organized side. Is that really what you want for a first-time young player that probably? A, is still learning tactically, and B, has never lived abroad? It really depends on the situation. The club situation is uh, just as important as those two things I listed earlier, and I always say look at Landon Donovan at Bayern Munich versus Landon Donovan at Everton. Night and day. And why is that? It's because he just felt more comfortable at Everton. Just in this, He liked the manager better. He liked the how they're playing him better. He, he just the he didn't have as much pressure there. He was valued more. It, it all depends. And I'm I'm not really privy to what makes Jordan Morris comfortable. What he wants in the club. I don't think any of us are that. But I, right. I, I I think that that's what it comes down to. Uh, we can talk all day about what might be. I think, looking on the, uh, from the outside. I, I can say, and this is my perspective, and people can color it as, as disillusioned and uh, you know rose-colored glasses. I think him as a Seattle Sounder makes sense on so many different levels. Um, and I, personally, I I'll be a little disappointed. I, I I will be. And you should be. He's I mean he's a he's a good player. You you want to see him playing for your team. This well, it, it has nothing to do with that at the at this point in time. It, it has to do with that. You know, Taylor Twelman put out there today. He said, you know, would this be as big of a deal if he didn't start for the U.S. national team? And I'll tell you, for from a Seattle Sounders perspective, it would be. Um, this is a young guy that from the day he entered into the into the organization um, as a youth player, 
it, he was known about. I mean, he's somebody that, you know, I know a few of us have, have tracked his statistics and his shot numbers and gone over just reserve games and just poured over his stats just to find out if he's really as good as what he looks. And, and that was at 17, 18 years old. And now he's making a commitment. You know, you do want to, you do want to have that opportunity. You do want to see him um, come and play in the U S that's, that's what I want to see for him. Um, he's your Paul Ariola. I think that's fair. Yeah. I, I, I think that's probably fair. Um, I don't know enough to, I know that there's a lot of galaxy fans that were disappointed when he went over still to you want and still, still are still at the in front office, especially like the galaxy two was created partially because of that. So, I mean, that being said, I don't think that the Sounders are going to be a, a less of a team in, in terms of – I think they're going to figure st- stuff out and they're going to figure out a way to to fill in the talent gap uh, for what they're expecting from him. But it's going to be disappointing. That's that's. I'll just kind of leave it at that. Um, yeah, so do you – as we kind of wind down, and it feels kind of like a downer to to kind of end. Do you have anything uh, good good of the order? Well, I mean, uh, I did uh, attend national team. You did. Uh, that's right. Uh, so uh, if, you, if you have any questions about uh, – because this is a very interesting pool. Um, I, I can report a couple of things. Um, I, for the first half of the scrimmage, I saw Michael Bradley and Will Trapp pairing together. Second half of the scrimmage, it was Lee Wynn and Michael Bradley pairing together. What did you think of uh, a trap Bradley pairing? As we we just talked about Bradley and uh, how how uh, he's been paired before with other specific players. What what did you find uh, the best of the two, and what did you like dislike about Trap and him? Um, they were active. Um, trap, I believe Trap had an assist, if I recall, and uh, he had one through ball that was absolutely magnificent, just absolutely superb. That's um, Trap. Yeah, I mean well, that's we'll synonymous trap. with his name. Yeah, Will Trap through a ball. He also does the you know the long passes that are you know over the top. This was just like on the ball, on the ground, through ball, beautiful. Um, and you know I, I'm not sure how much uh, that's going to be valued, but uh, it definitely was impressive. Um, another guy who impressed me was Polster. I, uh, Polster created a couple of chances um, from right back position, and uh, that was, uh, you know, this is a player I know Matt Doyle is very high on him, very high on him. And uh, it's uh, it's interesting to see him do it. You know, it's just a scrimmage, but, you know, against some quality players. Um, uh, let's see. Um, at, uh, I saw Brandon Vincent. Brandon Vincent came out in the second half. Uh, was uh, just as good as he was for Stanford, um, you know, shutting guys down, getting forward. You know, this is a guy who is absolutely going to be able to step forward in the professional level. Absolutely belongs on in the discussion for that left back position for the national team. Um, he did not disappoint in any way. Uh, and another standout was uh, Kai Swider. Uh, he's a player in playing in Germany. I believe he's U20 or U23. He was playing for the they had Blues and Whites. The Whites were it was a team you could tell they were not the starters. Um, and he was on, I believe, left mid. He had a goal, and then he had, and he hit the crossbar. 
Um, the goals for the blue team, by the way, were Altidore and uh, uh, Altidore and Zardes, who started up top. And uh, he looks to be, uh, you know, he, he looks to be something. And, you know, given Jurgen's affinity for Germans... Well, especially with like how much narcissism, you know, a little uh, not narcissism, but uh, how much uh, kind of negativity that was directed towards him coming in. That was just really weird. I mean, mostly most I mean, I didn't know who he was. I I think the majority of even intelligible soccer fans and pundits kind of had a rough idea. I I can't imagine they'd ever seen him regularly play outside of, you know, some of the different uh, fervent uh, youth soccer followers. I, I doubt you ever you'd ever seen him play. So I had uh, it. Um, I was talking to a fan there who had and said that, you know, he's a good player. It, you know, it, that's it great was, to see. That's great to hear. Yeah. It, it was an interesting practice. Um, disheartened to see, you know, Zardis up there with Altadora, you know, we can do better. But uh, So I, I, I do have one question for you. So mm-hmm. the word was uh, like Jason Christ and uh, Jurgen were out there doing laps with each other after, uh, after, practice holding the oh hand my god for 10 minutes after so everyone has left the field jason christ you're in clinton are running around the field like the entire field for 10 minutes just chatting away chatting away and it was just like these guys are fitter than the players was it just a bromance i i guess it was disturbing just how <laughs> long it was because i was sitting there sitting there because uh, i was with friends when my friends had a kid who was going to get an autograph and i was just like this is – I was looking at my phone, looking at my phone. I'm just like, my phone battery's about to die because I, I was tweeting the entire time. But I was like, my phone – like, this is this is kind of crazy. Like, 10 minutes, they're just running around, running around. He really is a fitness monster. Well, the interesting uh, little development. We'll have to see what comes of it. Um, yeah, so if you like anything that you heard on here – uh, to include the the 20 minutes on the LA Galaxy, go out to <laughs> Analysis Evolved, uh, our our podcast slash website Twitter handle. You go out to uh, Harrison underscore Crow, which is myself, my Twitter, uh, Sean. I didn't even get into Van Dam and this and the racist comments he directed towards Anyewu and how that's going to be a major story once he gets signed. Uh, but uh, yes, uh, you can find me at, at Sean Stefan to everyone. <laughs> Yeah, AmericanSoccerAnalysis.com. I hope you enjoyed the listen. Uh, we'll be back next week. We'll probably say more uh, unintelligible things that uh, are irritating and make you want to turn us off halfway. But we always say one or two things that are really interesting. So you should probably just listen to us anyways. Uh, Sean, say goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. All right. Until then, uh, I got to find a new Federico Higuain. And uh, yeah. Adios. Shut your face, high school jerks. We're about to show you how this works. Are we cool?